The title of today's sermon is, Don't Judge Me, Bro, and it's taken from Matthew 7, verses 1 through 6. Father, thank you for the Sermon on the Mount, the book of Matthew. Help us, Lord, to learn from it. Help us, Father, to live out the life that you intended your disciples to live. Instruct us now, we would pray, through the word of God, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. As you might know, I'm not a big country music fan, not like some of you, especially Bud Clark. But that's another story. I'm not going to go into it. But you should see him in his great big cowboy hat and his pickup truck. And do you know he's a great line dancer? No? Oh, all right. I'd like to remind you of the crossover hit in the 1960s. Back in 1968, it was was not only popular on the country charts, but also on the pop chart. It illustrates the hypocrisy that the Lord Jesus speaks about to his disciples. You might recall it. It was by Jeannie C. Riley. She had a huge hit with Harper Valley PTA. It was so popular, I think, because it scratched an itch in the lives of most Americans. Listen to the lyrics as they play and appear on the screen behind me.
In our text this morning, from the book of Matthew, Jesus commands his disciples, do not judge. There was a lot of judgment going on in that song, wasn't there? Recently, I've been taking part in a Harvard medical study, which requires that the participants have their blood drawn. A phlebotomist came to church this past week to collect my blood. As he was doing his job, we naturally conversed about Christianity. He was a wannabe hippie in his 50s with long gray hair. And he shared that he believed in Jesus and Buddha and Muhammad. He didn't consider himself a believer, but he considered himself spiritual. And during our talk, he spoke about Christians, and he misquoted the statement that we look at here this morning in Matthew. Do not judge. I think that's probably one of the most misquoted passages of scripture that there is. Now, he did not disappoint me by taking it out of context completely. You see, people like to use this statement by Jesus, do not judge, as a sledgehammer in order to silence their critics. Its misinterpretation goes something like this. You have no right to tell me that I'm wrong because Jesus said, do not judge others, right? You ever heard that before? Taken out of context, the command of the Lord Jesus does seem on its face to preclude negative condemnation of others. However, there's much more to the teaching of Jesus than just three words. We begin our examination of this text, which is found in the last chapter of the so-called Sermon on the Mount, in which Jesus, in his discourse, exhorts his disciples to be different from the hypocrites, that is, the religious elites of Israel, that surround them. As kingdom seekers... His disciples are not to act as citizens of this world, but of his coming promised kingdom. So the Lord warns them to avoid the broad road, which leads to destruction, as he contrasts it with the narrow road. And in doing so, he highlights the distinction between true righteousness and false righteousness between public demonstrations of good works and private acts of worship. He commands them, do not judge, meaning he forbids us of hypocritically looking at other people's lives while there's sin in our own life. He warns that if we do this, we will someday be judged by the same standard of measure that we judge others. So Jesus challenges his disciples to live above the self-righteousness and standard of the Pharisees. As you'll recall, Jesus warned them earlier in this same discourse in chapter 5 and verse 20 that unless, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. You see, Jesus knew well the tendency of human beings to take truth and twist it for one's own hypocritical purposes. He didn't want his disciples to think that he called them to be fruit 
inspectors. He warns them to begin by looking internally at their own lives before any other hypocritical study of someone else's life. I find it interesting that when we hear the teaching of Jesus, most of us on first impulse think of another brother or sister that needs to hear that truth. When in actuality, Jesus is saying we should apply the truth to our own lives first. We must assimilate and personally apply spiritual truth to ourselves before we ever have the right to speak to another. I'm reminded of the example of Martha, who was quite willing to hold her sister Mary to a standard that she herself could not live by. You see, the human condition allows us to freely judge others while we grant ourselves a free pass. Now, in the past few sermons, Jesus has warned his disciples that their righteousness must exceed that of the religious hypocrites in Israel. And he gave several areas in which they displayed this hypocrisy. The areas of giving, praying, fasting, the accumulation of wealth. And last week we looked at the action of worrying. Today he shares a sixth example in which we can be phonies, judging and condemning others when we don't keep the same standard of measure for ourselves. So if you have your Bible, would you open to Matthew chapter 7? We're going to begin in verse 1. You can find this text on page 963 of the Pew Bible. In verse 1, we find Jesus' command. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. He commands his disciples with these words. Do not. We find that many times throughout the Sermon on the Mount. Let me remind you of a few. I'm not going to quote the verse, just the past, just the words. He said, do not sound a trumpet before you give. Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Do not use meaningless repetitions. Do not put on a gloomy face. Do not store up treasures for yourself on earth. He uses that, that phrase, do not, quite a bit. It always appears in the present tense as an imperative with a negative particle. That means he's commanding us, do not do this, whatever it is that follows. The grammar reveals to us that literally Jesus is telling them to stop an act that's already in progress. You know, we like to judge people, don't we? As a pastor, I've had plenty of opportunity to be judged by other people. It's an uncomfortable state to be in. I'm sure you feel the same way. Well, the Lord tells us, stop judging others. He uses the Greek verb here, krino, which speaks of a negative opinion that's held by someone else. We are not to hold negative opinions of others and to judge them. You see, the judgment that he's talking about here is discriminating between two things. For example, there's a right way to judge things and there's a wrong way to judge them. I prefer Coke over Pepsi. But to say that I hate Pepsi, that it makes me want to puke, is to condemn the product and not to adjudge it. To judge between two 
is to prefer one over the other. But what Jesus is saying is don't be a hypocrite. Don't prefer your set of sins over another and judging someone that does that set of sins. You know, we, we often excuse our own failures, don't we? We'd like to excuse our own failures. We won't forgive other people of the same sin, but we'll forgive ourselves. Jesus is exposing this hypocrisy, this disposition to evaluate others more harshly than oneself. As I said earlier, this is one of the most misquoted of all biblical texts. So it's important that we understand what the Lord is saying in context. He's not making a blanket statement about the discernment or of judgment. He's making a statement within a specific context. He's not prohibiting our informed judgments about others. He's not doing that. You see, there's a caveat here. He does permit judgment between true piety and false piety, between true worship of God and between self-righteous arrogance. It might be summarized as thus. Do not judge others until you are prepared to be judged by the same standard. Be humble in your conclusions. Now, more on that in just a minute. But let me point to verse 5 first, which underscores what Jesus is saying here. He's saying if you've got a log in your eye, if you've got these huge sins in your life, why would you ever think you are able and just in judging the speck or a piece of dust in someone else's eye? You see, the log skews all of your vision. We can never help someone else if there is a speck of dust in In their eye, we can never help them get it out if we have a log in our own. So the Lord is warning us about a critical spirit in this text. It's interesting that I am covering this text as I am writing an evaluation letter to the school that hosted our trip to the Holy Land. There's always a balance that you need to to meet between being truthful and being harsh, being fair and being overly critical. It must be borne in mind that scripture teaches us that we are to judge other people, but it must be done in harmony with what the scripture scripture teaches about judgment. We must not allow our judgment to flow from our feelings, but from the principles of the word of God. Some Some examples of unbiased judgments can be seen in the following examples. Leaders in the church are tasked with assessing those who would teach within the church. Their teaching must be in harmony with the will of God and the word of God. In John's epistle, we read this instruction about it. He says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether or not they were from God. Therefore, responsible judgment is to be made by those who have been given that task. You'll recall that Jesus gave the responsibility to us to judge whether someone speaks for God as a true or a false prophet. As his disciples were called to judge others whether their actions are right or wrong. Remember when Paul met with Peter, recorded in the book of Galatians, and Paul confronted Peter 
to his face. We read there, when Peter came to Antioch, Paul opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he, James, he used to eat with Gentiles. But when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. The rest of the Jews joined him in the hypocrisy, with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. And when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter, in the presence of all, if you, being a Jew, live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? Paul judges Peter and addresses him directly to his face in the presence, public presence of other people about his error. So don't tell me that this text says we're not to judge other people. I've given you two clear examples of it. And another one is, disciples are called to judge other people for the way in which they are living and believing. I am reminded of the Bereans in the book of Acts, chapter 17, when they were commended, listen now, now these people, these men, the Bereans, were more noble than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. Notice how important that judgment, examination of others, of actions, of motives, must be done according to the scripture. It must be based on the clear teaching of the word of God. Here, the Bereans are commended for just such an activity. Why? Because all scripture is inspired by God. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness so that the man of God, so that the man of God may be equipped for every good work. The Lord has called his disciples to be judges of spiritual truth. Is someone teaching the truth? Every brother and sister has the task of a judging whether something is in harmony with the word of God or not. Now, there are a lot of charismatic lone guns out there in Christianity. They can fool people into believing their lies. How do they do that? They skew the truth of the word of God. And it's always done for some selfish reason. My admonition to you today is never trust a pastor or a church leader who is putting himself above the truth, who is putting his own self-interests above those of God. I can tell you with assurance that what they're teaching is somehow false and not in harmony with the word of God. We are all clay vessels, and we are all flawed and failed human beings. And oftentimes we allow ourselves to put our interests above those of our Savior and our Lord. So, I've had those come into my presence in our very church right here who tell me that it was okay, according to the Bible, to smoke dope. Because the Bible doesn't forbid it. I've had others come into our church here and come after me and say that, homosexuality is in harmony with the scripture because the Bible never condemns homosexuality, using that word. People will use all sorts of reasoning and thought processes to undermine the word of God in order that their lifestyle be authenticated. 
But Paul writes the disciples in Corinth stating that while all things are lawful for you, all things are not profitable. While all things are lawful for me, I will not be mastered by anything. While all things are lawful, not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. Jesus is surely promoting tolerance of others in this text, that's for sure, even if they are in serious error in their beliefs and practices. We are to love others as we adjudge them rightly. The point is, don't exacerbate the problem. Don't be mean-spirited in your judgment. And certainly don't be arrogant because we all have clay feet. The truth is, We're not called to judge methods in ministry, but the truth of the doctrine that's used in ministry. That being said, as disciples, I should be discerning of my own faults, my own shortcomings, and my own lack of understanding of Scripture before I ever go to another and hold them accountable. Why should I do this? According to the Scripture here, so that I will not be judged. That's what Jesus said. Do not judge others so that you will not be judged. I believe that this has in mind the judgment of God and not human judgment. The disciple is to judge himself before he judges another. Again, Paul writes of this to the Corinthians when he speaks of self-judgment in chapter 11 in the context of the communion or the Lord's table. You'll recall what he said there in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He said, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, there you go, and a judgment's been made, shall be guilty of the blood and the body of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in doing so, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks and eats and drinks judgment to himself, if he does not judge the body rightly... For this reason, many of you are are weak and sick and a number sleep. Now, here's the important point. But if we judge ourselves rightly, we will not be judged. Judgment begins with ourselves first. That's what Jesus is saying here. He's not forbidding the judgment of others, the discrimination between two. He's saying that self-examination begins with your own person first. That's why Jesus dealt so harshly with the hypocrites, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the others. They judged, they had the temerity to judge the judge. Always finding Jesus to be inadequate. You remember they found him lacking because he didn't offer them the kingdom that they were expecting instead of the kingdom that God was offering. So they rejected him. Jesus warned them of their hypocrisy. So too he now warns his own disciples about their hypocrisy. Now in this self-examination, we must avoid two extremes. First, we must watch out for the shallow self-exemption. Self-examination, I should say, extreme. Sometimes we are so sure of ourselves that we fail to examine our own hearts and deal with it honestly and thoroughly. The only way to do that is to use the standard of the word of God. To use God's standards and not 
commands. Remember the word of James, the brother of the Lord Jesus, who said, Prove yourself to be doers of the word, not merely hearers of it, who delude themselves. I know a lot of Christians who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in the mirror, for he has once looked at himself and gone away. He has immediately forgotten what that kind of person that he was. But the one who looks intently at the perfect law, the word of God, the law of liberty, and abides in it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he has done. Don't judge yourself easily. Look into that mirror intently and see the truth about yourself. The second extreme that we should avoid when doing self-examination, self-judgment, is what I'd like to call the perpetual autopsy. And I know a lot of Christians like this, too. They had the tendency to become so wrapped up in their own self-examination that they become unbalanced. They're good for nothing. The Lord can never use me because of this or that from my past. Do you know those people? They're always bemoaning what terrible sinners they are and how God could never, ever use them to speak or to teach the word of God or to do anything to to witness to someone. I couldn't do that. That's perpetual autopsy, always looking at your past errors and sin and using that as an excuse to not to live for Christ effectively. Instead, we should look to him for our forgiveness for our right standing and our ability to serve and minister. In verse 2, we learn that the standard of measure by which we will be judged. Look with me there. For in the way that you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Some scholars have suggested that this might have been a well-known proverb of the day. And Jesus incorporates it, uses it, and it becomes a biblical principle. The idea here is is surely compatible with the idea in Galatians that you reap what you sow. In other words, if we are judgmental of others, then others will respond to us in the same judgmental way in which we have judged them. However, hidden with this within this text is a ray of Inherent within it is the idea of freedom. If we follow the command of Jesus and stop judging others, stop judging others, then we can break this pattern. We can relate to people in non-judgmental ways and do it so positively with grace and forgiveness. Isn't that the way that we expect to be treated and hope to be treated? So then, The standard of measure that we are warned about here is our own standard of measure. That's really important when it comes to disputes in this life, especially disputes in the local church. If we have practiced a non-judgmental pattern, as Jesus talks about, then we will be able to settle the matter without breaking the bonds of fellowship. Isn't that the goal? Unity? within the body of Christ. The local church is sort of a petri dish in which judgmental attitudes and actions can either stew and be dealt with correctly or they can get out of hand and break the fellowship into pieces. The Bible calls upon each and every one of us to judge rightly, to discern the truth. 
And in fact, in the book of Thessalonians, Paul urges the Thessalonians to admonish the unruly, to encourage the faint-hearted, and to help the weak, being patient with all. Judging others never happens in a vacuum. It must be accompanied by the remedy. Disciples are called upon to not only admonish, but to encourage. Not only to judge others, but to help the weak and to be patient with those who are disobedient. Why in the world would I want to do that? Because it's commanded in Scripture. Notice our responsibility to other believers in verse 3. Notice your responsibility to other believers in verse 3. Jesus says, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye? That's a good question, isn't it? You know, I've compared the church to, and you've heard this before, I'll say it again, to being like the cage that contains monkeys at the zoo. You know? Did you ever watch them? Did you ever go to the zoo and watch the monkeys? They sit on, uh, sit on branches next to each other and they pick the bugs off of one another. That's sort of like Christians, isn't it? How many Christians have you met that they're always criticizing something about you? It's never helpful, never encouraging, but it's you're always doing something wrong that you could do better. Just listen to me. That's what Jesus is talking about here. Don't look at the speck in your brother's eyes when you've got a log in your own eyes. We are to love others, not judge them. But somehow it makes us feel good when we find faults in other people, especially faults that we can use against them. Jesus describes this small problem in the life of a brother as looking for a speck in the eye. Notice that this is a fellow believer, not an unbeliever. It's your brother's eye. Jesus is speaking to his disciples who are waiting for the kingdom of God to be ushered in and he calls them hypocrites who are judging their brothers because they have a speck in their eye. Now Jesus could have spoken to this very naturally because he was a carpenter, wasn't he? I'm sure Jesus had gotten a speck of dust in his eye at some time before in his father's workshop. So he was quite adept at knowing about this. In light of the fact that he says we are not to look for the speck in his brother's eyes because the individual has a log in their own. Of course, this is an absurd contrast he's making here, but it drives home his point. Watch this. Oh, man. I got something in my eye. What is that? kind of absurd to think about, isn't it? Just, it's silly. Uh, maybe that's why they were laughing in the, the video that was shown uh, at the beginning of service. But the point is the absurdity of it, of trying to get a speck out of someone else's eyes when you can't see out of your own eyes. Why do we feel that we can criticize others when we have so many problems in our own lives? Especially when we have big issues in life and they have just tiny, tiny ones. I am reminded about this type of hypocrisy. Do you remember when Bill Clinton was president of the United States? Anybody remember that? And remember he had 
an affair with Monica Lewinsky. A huge scandal that caused his being impeached. Well, as he was going through this, it was decided that he needed a spiritual advisor. Do you remember this at all? So they called in the Reverend Jesse Jackson. He was brought in to advise the president how to overcome his sin, his issue with infidelity. Well, unbeknownst to most people, and it didn't come out to a, a while later, the Reverend Jackson fathered a child with a secret mistress when he was having his own extramarital affair at the very same time. He's advising Clinton about the speck in his eye when he's got a log in his own. Kind of despicable when you think about it, isn't it? That's the point that the Lord was making. Don't go preaching to others when you've got your own problems that you haven't dealt with. This, the word speck here in Greek is the word karpos, and it refers to a tiny, tiny little bit of dust in someone's eye. And the word log speaks of the big beam in someone else's eye, as you saw in the video. The beam could have actually have been used to make floor joists or rafters. So the Lord's using hyperbole here to drive home the point, as the video surely demonstrated. We cannot help someone else when we have a huge problem in our own life. Look with me at verse 4. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye. The obvious point is you can't. So introspection, examining your own life first. Between brothers, again, this is not speaking of those outside the fellowship. This is speaking of disciples. This is for those who are committed to the Lord Jesus Christ and follow biblical principles. The point is that some sins are small and don't disqualify us, while others are huge and do. In other places, Jesus uses similar terminology or descriptions. He speaks of gnats at one point and camels, small and big. That's not to say that little sins don't somehow matter. They do. But the huge sins, the logs, they are the ones that can hurt others and be the most painful. So we must deal with the sins in our own lives, especially those ones that are besetting, before we can ever advise another on the issues in their own life. Now, verse 5, notice, he says to his disciples, you hypocrites, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eyes. The point's clear. All of Jesus' disciples are hypocrites. As I said last week, each and every one of us is hypocritical in the way that we live our lives. Is that not true? Well, guess not. We're to stop thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought, as Paul once put it. Start judging yourself rather than other people. In Greek, the word hypocrite is a compound word. You can see it on the screen behind me. It was used in the Roman theater world, especially. It speaks of an actor who wears masks. They change their masks. The first part, hippo, means under, and the second part, krino, as I mentioned earlier, means judge. It describes a person who acts in one way and is actually another. Why is that? 
Why is he calling us hypocrites? Because all of us have that tendency, isn't it? Jesus advises, first take the log out of your own eye. Why? So you can see clearly. Look at your own life. I'm reminded of what uh, J. Vernon McGee wrote in his passage on this text. He spoke of a great Scottish pastor who had the reputation of being a fine Bible teacher. But he also had achieved some notoriety in in his uh, parish for the overuse of wearing cologne. He was asked about that one time, and McGee says he explained his habit was to protect others from offending them when they came down uh, to receive counsel from him uh, from the pulpit. You see, he would work up quite a sweat, so he would wear this cologne to cover it. It was noted, though, however, upon meeting a very pious woman, that uh, the pastor wore the cologne seven days a week rather than just on Sundays. When she met him at the, at the uh, local eatery, she, ha- she said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are wearing perfume, sniffing him. And he sniffed back and said, Madam, I perceive that you don't. Well, if you don't like that one, how about Winston Churchill and Lady Astor? They had very memorable exchanges. Lady Astor didn't really care for Winston too much. She said to him, Winston, if you were my husband, I should flavor your coffee with poison. Always the gentleman in public, though, Winston said to Lady Astor, Madam, if I was your husband, I would drink it. Jesus stated in verse 1 that we should judge ourselves rightly so that we would not be judged. Look at your own life before you start evaluating others. Jesus is not concerned here with faults, finding, and condemning other people when you're blind to your own problems. Now verse 6. He illustrates this to his disciples saying, Do not give that which is holy to dogs. Do not throw your pearls before swine so that they will trample them under feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Quite a vivid picture, is it not? Here Jesus warns them to bring balance to their lives, especially in this area of judgment. They are to stave off any misconceptions that they might have had from this statement as he tells them this sort of Vivid picture. Brings it to life. He shares that in what we might think of an ignomatic statement, but uh, it is a very provocative one. When I was in Turkey a couple of years ago, I remember taking pictures of dogs. There was dogs everywhere. I don't know if you remember that. There was dogs everywhere. They were up on... uh, 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 the, 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 where the, um, what's the big building on the hill there? The, the huh? Yes, the Acropolis. Uh, they were everywhere we went in Greece. Then we went to Turkey, and there were no dogs. We went to Israel, and there was no dogs. Why is that? 
They don't like dogs because they're considered unclean. So, the Jews were very sensitive to this picture of dogs. Jesus used the word dog to speak of an inferior person. We have statements like go to the dogs that kind of uses the same idea. Gentiles, as you know, were called dogs in the scriptures. And the same uncomplimentary picture is that of pigs because they were also unclean animals. What Jesus is saying here is don't give that which is holy, that which is sacred, to something that is unclean. And the idea here is of again and again and again. What is holy could be constrained to be thought of as food that was uh, purified at the temple and meant for God, and some of it was given to the priests. So the idea here would be don't give this holy food to the dogs that might have been surrounding uh, Israel and the, the uh, valley where the garbage dump was. Um, certainly, the idea that you're not to throw your pearls before swine or pigs is that the pearls were very valuable. So the idea here is that whatever is holy or sanctified is a valuable object, something that should be taken care of and not abused. He's comparing these animals to people. So Jesus is saying, don't give that which is holy to people who don't appreciate it, who will abuse it. Don't give that which is holy to those who will reject it. To press this matter about condemnation of others, I think, is to go too far. His disciples were not to go about and give out that which was sacred, which would be the good news, the teaching of Jesus, to those people who continually reject it. That's the idea here. So the disciples were to make judgments about the people that they shared the good news with. You see, when we continually give that which is sacred to, uh, sacred to others who keep rejecting it again and again and again, it's like to- tossing holy food to dogs or, or pearls to swine. So the idea here is it's futile to continue to present godly truth to those who don't want to hear it. Again, it's McGee who tells the story of a friend who was a Tennessee legislator. This gentleman, before he got saved, had been a heavy drinker. And all of his fellow legislators knew of this dark part of his past. Well, when they heard that he got religion, they decided to poke a little fun at him. One day when he came in and took his seat in the legislature, his fellow members saw him and one man thought it would be time to stand up and sort of rib him. He rose from his chair to address the chairman. He said, I'd like to make a motion that we hear from deacon so-and-so. And everybody laughed at his expense. But he was equal to the occasion. He got to his feet and looking at the man who had said that, he said, I'm sorry. I do not have anything to say. My Lord told me not to cast my pearls before swine. He then sat down and no one ever said anything to him again. No godly priest would ever throw out holy food from the sacrifices of the temple and give them to dogs. And only a fool would give pearls, valuable pearls, to a pig. So we are commanded in this text to take the good news to those who are open to receiving it and not to those who continue to reject it. 
Remember, Jesus refused to speak to Herod. Remember that? Because he was not open to the truth. Paul refused to argue with people about the gospel because they were closed to the truth. Some scholars see this text as a chiastic pattern, as you can see on the text behind me. There's an A truth and a B truth. It's often repeated in a chiastic pattern, a chiasm is what it's called, to drive home the point. Verse in um, number A says, do not give what is holy to dog. That's reflected in B with do not throw your pearls before swine. And the point is they will tear it to pieces or they will trample it under its feet. It's speaking of that which is holy. Do not take the good news, the teaching of Christ, and give it to those who reject it over and over again. I know some Christians who are saviors in their own mind. They have those people that live terrible lifestyles and they just keep bringing them the gospel. They keep ministering to them over and over and over. And all they keep getting is rejection, rejection, rejection. That's what Jesus is talking about here. Go to those people who are open to the truth. Take the the beauty of the gospel, the good news, the, the pearls, the food that is meant to make you grow, take it to those who are ready to hear it and not those who reject it. For what will they do? They will turn around and use it against you and tear you to pieces and trample you under feet. Well, how do we make application of this text to our lives today? Well, the first thing is we need to be open and honest with ourselves, which is very hard to do. We need to look at ourselves as though in a mirror and see accurately who we are and where we are in life. The tendency, as I said, is either to overestimate our goodness or to underestimate it. We tend to think of ourselves better than actually is. So Jesus shares these principles. We find biblical principles embedded here that we should be able to apply to our lives. The first principle is that we will all be judged. We will all be judged. There's a time coming when we will stand before Christ at the Bema seat and be judged. He will judge us based on those things that we have done in the body, remember, whether they be good or bad. Now, some people don't like the word judgment there. Judgment is to discriminate between two things, as I said, between good and bad. And the judgment will not ever be negative in the sense that we will suffer. The judgment that's talked about there is we will either gain reward or lose them, but we will be judged. So what does that mean? The second biblical principle is here. The second lesson is we need to judge self. We need to accurately, through the scriptures, judge our own behavior and deal with it. Because if we judge ourselves rightly now, we will not be judged. Right? If you accurately evaluate your life here and now, you can avoid the loss of reward in the future by correcting the mistakes that you're making in your life now. The third principle here is that before we can help someone else, we must help ourselves. Before we can go take the speck out of somebody else's eye, we must get the the log of sin out of our own. If we don't do that, we will never help others. Jesus used the Pharisees as the classic example of hypocrites because they were quick to judge others when they gave themselves a pass. We, as the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, should never condemn others, but only adjudge them in order to help them in their lives 
to live more holy and circumspect in this life in harmony with the word of God. May the Lord help us to be honest with self, honest with others, and to be holy in our lives. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for the body of Christ here at Lacey Chapel. We're thankful for people who desire to walk with you and to live for you. Help us all, Lord, not to judge one another, but to encourage, to exhort, and to love one another. Help us, Father, to build up the body of Christ that we might be a living epistle, a testimony to a lost world. Help us, Father, each of us to do that in our own lives. And collectively, we can be a lighthouse to the world that is so dark around us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.